Good morning, good afternoon, well, good evening, and whatever time it is, wherever you are, welcome to the Help Sheffield podcast, or Help podcast, I've got what to call it, episode number 24. Um, for this episode, we've got me, Elf1, and in Elf2, say hello. Hello. I always done that, it's uh, got his bit in for the week, that's him done, <laughs> see you later. And this week we have two guests, which with four of us in the room, it's going to be fun. Um, Zoom's probably going to kick us off after 40 minutes because we're still social distancing. Um, but this week we have, I mean, got told off at the last session that we have to have a drum roll for introduction. So we have guest one, this is going to be, I'm pointing at the screen as though you can see me pointing at you. <laughs> Are you ready? Joe. Hi, I'm Jay Reynolds. Um, do you want me to elaborate at this point, or should we save the juicy details for later? No, you can just give us a name and that'll, that'll, that's okay. all we need. Yeah, Jay Reynolds, that's me. And we have. Hello, I'm Tom French. Yes, so we've got two people with two names and we don't know who they are yet. Um, we can now move onwards. Joe, if you would like to elaborate on who you are and what you do and why you are talking to me on the Chapel podcast, if you do. Yeah, well, that we'll find out. Yes, thank you very much, um, and thanks for the chance to, oh, to talk about myself. Before, before we continue, sorry, we don't we don't use our names as, as the Elf One, Elf Two. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but we are referred to as that in case it okay. comes up. I'll let you carry on now. Thank you. Um, so I I do various things in Sheffield. I have a background in working in public health research. Um, and in teaching about public health um, but one of the things that I um, am doing more of and trying to do more of at the moment is um, working with voluntary sector organisations, public sector, third sector organisations to find ways to help them to make the most of qualitative data um, and by that I mean um, information about people's experiences, about their views, their attitudes, their understandings of the world and of, of particular issues and problems in the world and to find ways to use that kind of rich data of people's experiences and, and from their own view to to make changes to inform policy to um, inform programs and, and hopefully to make the world and Sheffield a better place um, so I run a, an organization called Capacity Q um, with the idea of working with local organizations and organizations outside Sheffield to make the most of qualitative data to do whatever that organisation needs to do to, to have an impact and make things a bit better. We like making things better. That's why we're all here, I think. Maybe something, I don't know. I just like talking to Sammy on voice. And to complement that, on the flip side, Tom, what is it that you do? Uh, hello, yeah, I'm, I'm Tom French. I do pretty much the same as Joe, really, except I'm kind of more of a, a numbers geek, I guess, um, but working a lot with charities and community groups. Uh, and public sector organisations using data um, and evaluating projects as well, kind of figuring out whether some of the projects that people have done have done what they say, what change it means for people and uh, how we can learn from those and, and do better things in the future, really. Uh, but alongside that, I run a, a group of volunteers in, in Sheffield called Sheffield Data for Good. Um, and we're just a bunch of people, I guess, who come together every now and again. And we try and understand a challenge facing Sheffield uh, a bit better, really. Um, it's, sometimes it's it's active, sometimes it's not. Uh, we're always on the lookout for projects and, and things to get our teeth into. Um, but yeah, that's why I'm here, really. Um, and, and Joe and I know each other a little bit and felt like you said the flip side. We had two sides of the, I don't know which one's like the dark side or whatever, but uh, yeah, two sides of the, the same research coin. Numbers. Don't, and, don't lie, Tom, you do know who's the dark side. <laughs> 
John's got a halo above her head, so therefore... Yeah. <laughs> An accidental halo. But she also has a microphone that looks like the Death Star, so... That's, that's true. Also yeah. true. <laughs> Maybe there's a bit of light and dark in all of us and in all the research we do. So, give us an idea where Donald wants to go first of the sort of people you've worked with or currently working with and where your projects have led you or where they're leading you. Um, don't know who wants to go first. Put your hand up. Tom, you go first because I think, especially data for Good's got some really um, exciting things Things you've been doing. Yeah, yeah so I think I probably will talk about data for Good because A, it's, it's, well, it's more interesting. There is only A. It's more interesting. <laughs> um, so um, I think, like like I said, we, we are a group of volunteers and we, we've come around stuff. So recently, obviously, since this COVID-19 nonsense, um, we worked a bit with, with Untracted Sheffield Early Doors, um, sort of by accident, really. I think they were, they were trying to understand how they could uh, get a response together quickly and make people aware of what different community groups and organisations were doing across Sheffield in response to COVID-19. Um, so we kind of just uh, put a call out, I guess, a bit of social media and stuff like that and just said, any data geeks out there got any ideas how we might be able to do this? And we just started experimenting with, with doing maps and stuff. And then uh, that was that, that ended up on the Voluntary Sheffield website uh, as part of their response, I guess. Um, so that's kind of one initiative. We've also been kind of uh, working a bit with UBI labs in Sheffield who are promoting the idea of a universal basic income uh, and trying to understand the impact of that in the, the, the city. So we've we've kind of got a, a sideline in that. And we've also been doing a bit with some community contact tracing um, to support uh, a community group that were already doing that um, through volunteers, but just wanted to understand how better to collect that data and match it all together and, uh, uh, and guide what, what they should do. Um, so that these are kind of like, they're messy projects uh, because it's volunteers and we're kind of the, the people alongside their day jobs and stuff like that. And it's pretty amazing really what, what people do alongside that, but it does mean that it kind of, there are fits and starts and it's never quite a, a smooth path. Um, but yeah, it's all good. It's all good fun. Um, and I suppose I have, I have the task of trying to coordinate all that, uh, but trying to palm it off slowly on, onto the collective. So if anyone wants to help out then. More than welcome. That's called managing, Tom. It's not called palming it off. It's called managing people and their their um, skills and requirements and whatever else you want to throw in there. Let me just know that. Delegation, I believe, is the word you're looking for. That's the yeah. word. That's what you need. Yeah, palming off. I'd go for palming off as well. And um, so, Joe. So, um, in a similar sort of question to a similar sort of thing. So, you go. On. I'll let you speak. Well, um, I, I have to say I haven't got that many great examples of stuff that I've done in Sheffield. I'm, I'm fairly new to my um, my consultancy freelancing game with Capacity Q stuff. Um, and actually, the pro most of the projects I've been doing uh, in the past year or so have been outside Sheffield. Um, How dare you? How dare me? Exactly. I, I was trying to keep. I was trying to keep local and get more local with my work. I was doing a project um, with a, a group down in London um, last year, and then um, the project I took on after that took me even further away. And I was um, working with some people looking at antimicrobial resistance in Malawi. So very unlocal indeed. Um, but I'm I'm keen to to kind of get things. Uh, going locally there was a project that um, 
that Tom and I were, were trying to work together on um, was looking at a way to evaluate a, um, a local um, school-based initiative which is training teachers and other people working in schools in a kind of um, wellness approach to supporting young people's mental health and it's a program called Flower 125 that's been working being delivered really successfully um, in Sheffield and I think possibly be slightly beyond Sheffield but mostly in schools in Sheffield I think for around the past 20 years and it's been really really successful from a kind of anecdotal point of view but um, the the woman who runs it um, was is so keen to just get some kind of hard data to show that that flower one two five is really effective as she believes it is and and it looks like it really is. Um, but but getting getting some hard facts that will mean people want to continue to to fund it um, and to commission her to do continue doing this work. So Tom and I were looking at uh, a way to, that we might evaluate that kind of program. But unfortunately, it's not quite come off the ground yet because we haven't yet been able to find any funding to fund the evaluation. Um, so if anybody knows of any sources of funding that would be willing to uh, to, to fund an evaluation of a school-based mental health improvement programme, then please let me know. But it's one of those programmes that just seems really exciting and I think it, it's one of those examples where it's great to have the numbers, it's great to know how many kids have been through the process how what impacts on grades what impacts on um on presence at school or absence from school and to see those numbers format but then also to get the kind of the depth of the experience to understand in more detail from the teachers perspectives and the students perspectives like what does it feel like to be part of this program how how has your experience changed over the time that you've been involved so it's one of those nice examples where bringing the quantitative numbers and the qualitative text and depth would have been uh, really valuable if we just need some funding to to get it off the ground so do you, um, do you have a collection sound we can use every time we either ask for money or uh, support with, with doing a project yeah. So like coins, coin noises on every time, uh, every time you mention it. I think, um, I don't know. I think it's the thing about data. I think people often get scared, don't they? I think as soon as you say data, I think spreadsheet, and I think hide it under pillow and run away very quickly. Mm. Uh, but obviously, you're using it for good reasons um, and trying to get a positive outcome in there. Whereas I think I would. I know what you do before I started this. So. I think if you're uh, if you're Matt Hancock and you're thinking about data and you're thinking about spreadsheets, then uh, you probably probably should be a bit concerned, really, shouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Rule, rule number one: count how many rows you forgot. And actually, I've noticed in, um, I think during COVID, um, there's been a much more of an emphasis on stories and storytelling. And there have been some really, really interesting pieces of work that have been done quite quickly during COVID, like mobilised quite quickly um, in Sheffield and, and outside Sheffield to try and capture people's experiences. But they're framing it not as data. We need data on what you're, what's going on in your life. But tell us your story. Tell us your experience. And it's, I think that's a really nice way of framing it because it's quite personal it means that somebody can tell about their experience in their own words and and it suggests something that would be you know interesting and engaging and maybe influential so um although i, I think with the quantitative side especially thinking about things like big data that to me i find a really 
off-putting term and quite daunting partly because i'm not very good at numbers but um yeah it'd be interesting to see if there are other ways of framing it like i think this this idea of stories and storytelling is a, a quite accessible way to think about how you use qualitative data i don't know if there's an alternative for quantitative data tom yeah well i think i mean uh, for me my i suppose my take on the numbers the stuff and the data bits you know i have i probably should say this but i have my own like kind of concerns about it you know I, I think it's um it can too easily be assumed that there's a right and a wrong way of doing stuff but i think probably what what i've been slowly trying to learn uh over the course of my adult life i suppose there's a couple of things one is the kind of balance between the, the numbers of stuff with the the narrative and the story stuff and the voices because you need both you know it's like anything else um it's a balance you know if i ate all the butter i actually wanted to i'd be dead so you need to like kind of balance balance two things yeah you say all yeah. the butter all the butter yeah i'm a butter fiend yeah definitely um Just but i've learned that model mouthful it's been known <laughs> um so yeah so i think there's there's that balance thing but there's also kind of uh i think something that gets attached to like data and it happens at school i think um and this is like the former maths teacher coming out of me uh, it didn't last very long but this is the former <laughs> maths teacher like this kind of uh, attitude to maths that it's all right to be uh, am i allowed to swear um we have to put a parent advisory on the um okay well i won't swear that it is it's just going to be a, a, a gentle shit if you're going to say shit that's probably all right all right fine it's just like this kind of attitude <laughs> to be a bit a bit shit at maths and like i know you know it's just uh this this kind of cultural thing and i think it comes from that right or wrong bit but I think what I've learned slowly is just to kind of go, you know, here's, here are some numbers about something. And I recognize that there's probably bits of this that are, uh, are messy or don't make sense or I've made assumptions, but actually being really transparent about that. And I think that opens up a, a different conversation than going, here's the numbers and that's, that's the truth, because I just don't believe that, I guess. I think it's, it's all part of a, um, understanding what the next question might be and i think i heard somebody at a conference once say that data doesn't give you the answer it it just generates the next question and i think when you start thinking about it like that uh it's slightly more healthy relationship with this this kind of numbersy stuff i think a lot of the things in the world shouldn't really be right or wrong they're just yeah i, I mentioned it on the last podcast we've just recorded but i've been watching this abstract uh, documentary on netflix about design and um, there's a woman on there who's designing kids' toys, and she's created kids' toys that are open-ended, so they're not kids' toys that have got an answer, so they don't, kids don't go, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it, because there's no right or wrong answer, because it's just sticking things together. And if it looks good in the kid's mind, then success has been achieved. Um, yeah. Whereas if you're trying to, say, draw me a car, and they can't be good at drawing, they go, oh, I'm not very good at this. Whereas you can't lose heart if you can't win. <laughs> it can't make any sense. You just go, oh, I've created a blog, but it looks great to me. It's always the blog, and that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, like, more broadly, I don't want to bang on about my views on education and stuff, but I do, I do kind of find myself getting to a point where I think like skills-based education is, I don't know, maybe it's not the right, right way forward, having said there's no right or wrong. Uh, maybe it's another way forward just kind of actually thinking more about challenges and problems that you can work uh, around collectively and you'll bring different bits and bobs to that but the, the thing is sorting things out uh, in cooperation with each other rather than 
you're doing maths now or you're doing history or this and the other. Um, process is part of the um, answer, isn't it? It doesn't really matter whether you get there or not necessarily. It depends what you're right. doing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts on this, L2? You, you piped it once and you're um, just looking very... Um, mm. Various different things have been rattling through my head, really. I, one of the things I was thinking of about was when when you sort of when you've got bits of information, bits of data that have come from you know wherever it is you're pulling it from. Like how how do you make sure that there isn't bias in that data? So, for example, I guess if somebody's asked somebody's done a questionnaire and they've asked questions, um, but those questions might be pointed in a way that would give back you know biased information like how how do you sort of sieve that sort of thing out or is that not really your kind of responsibility to to do that kind of thing how does all of that come into it well i think if i if i think about it from the kind of qualitative side um when i'm teaching qualitative methods so i do it in a university setting and then i try to in other settings as well try to support people to think about how you do qualitative stuff how do you make sense of it um i always advocate that that there will always be bias or there'll be always a bit of your own interpretation as the researcher whether you were the person who designed the questions in the first place whether you were the person who was doing the interview you were part of that conversation or whether you're just analyzing the data that's come from somewhere else um it, there's always an interpretation it's always a kind of subjective process and therefore uh, we can't kind of try and get rid of the bias. We can't kind of pretend it's not there or try and minimise it, but we have to kind of acknowledge it and say, okay, what is it about the way I approach this data? Well, who am I in relation to this topic and what I think about it? And how might that be shaping what I'm seeing in, in the information and how I'm presenting it down the line? So there's a sort of tradition with qualitative research that you embrace that and you kind of actively reflect on it and actively talk about it so that people at least know that they can see how your interpretations might have come about based on who you are where you've come from what your own views are on the world so uh, it's easy sometimes it's a lot easier said than done especially if you have to write a quick report for somebody you can't spend two pages reflecting on who you are and your upbringing and your personal views on the world it's quite hard to do but I think it, it's always important to kind of push people through the process to think, how am I interpreting this? I'm not doing this in a vacuum. I'm not doing this as a kind of clinical scientist with a, a microscope. I'm doing this as a person with my own thoughts, my own feelings. Um, and I suppose in, I suppose my like stereotypical view of quantitative numbers side of things is that that's not encouraged so much. It's more about how do we get rid of the bias and how do we kind of minimize it um which can be done in some situations but but otherwise i, I kind of i'm adv i'm and it sounds like tom is too like an advocate for, advocate for saying no actually these are some of the issues with this data or these are these are the, the ways i've approached it based on my views but this is my interpretation and just sort of being quite transparent with that and quite honest yeah it's best with, well go after you I was just going to say yesterday I put a tweet out that nobody read within 15 minutes so it got deleted. That is the way that I do this. If anyone's, <laughs> no one's read that, that's going. <laughs> um, and it was about time. I'm currently um, looking for employment. 
and then filling out CVs and filling out online forms. I just think someone needs to redesign how this is done. Because the person at the end, I don't think they really care that you got a degree 20 years ago. They actually care whether, in my view, whether you buy the first round when you go to the pub. There's things that are just sort of the data that goes in. I just like, that's not what they really want. They've just been doing it the same way for 130 years. And everyone just reads it and goes, oh, yeah, another blank piece, boring piece of paper. I don't know. I know you can input that data, but actually I think the person who's getting it out doesn't realise what they want. They just get given it because that's the format that it's always been in. Yeah, def I mean, definitely. I think there's a really interesting point in that and about, uh, I just read a book recently by uh, Sammy Blau, I think it is, a Dutch uh, person, uh, who's written this book, <laughs> The Number Bias. Um, and it's got lots of interesting examples of, of how numbers have shaped things and the, the, that bias stuff is there. Um, but something, something that doesn't get talked about that much with data is exactly what you're talking about, uh, Elf One. And that is uh, that kind of by repeatedly and habitually collecting certain types of data, you shape cultural norms, um, even if it's like not the most sensible way to do it anymore. And you see like loads of loads of cases of that. Um, but I think just answering the question about bias and stuff, I think I just whatever Joe said, I, I agree with really. I think there's um, I don't think you can get rid of it, um, but rather than fear it and then write off everything you've collected just have like, just i just think lots of things can be solved by open conversations about this is messy isn't it yes it is but what can we glean from it what might we try and tweak and collect differently because it's not quite feeling right uh, and that kind of stuff um yeah and i think that's the somehow and i don't know whether it's because the proliferation of of so much data and people call it big data whatever you want to call it um but it's kind of the technological revolution has kind of created all of these data points that seem like massively comprehensive so it's kind of somehow attracted this objective truth to it and i'm just not sure that is the case there's all sorts of bias in the algorithms because the vast majority of the people writing these algorithms are uh, probably white men um, and I think I actually yeah. just skewed the, 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 the stuff that goes in. Um, and I don't know enough about it. I, like, yeah. I don't know. I don't. So, so that was kind of the thing that I, I was sort of thinking to. I remember reading something fairly recent about, um, you know, like a, a, an artificial... You've muted yourself, Elf2. S strange, don't know how to do that. See, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the reason that I was asking about before about the biases and things was I'd, I'd, I'd come across this article fairly recently about a, you know a, uh, an AI or you know whatever you want to call it um, for I think it was was it preempt not preempting um, but I think given given somebody's uh, you know photograph. Uh, and some very basic information um, could tell whether they were guilty of a particular crime. I can't remember all the full details, but then there's obviously there's things in there where which you think, well, that's only going to do what it's been told to do based on the data it had at the time. And if the people that are kind of creating that uh, are not aware that the, the data set could potentially be biased, then... You know, then you end up with a bias system, and then that just kind of reinforces it. But if you've got, you know, the people saying, "Well, the scientists that kind of collected all this data," um, 
you know, saying it, you know, all the data is fine, but then it's actually, if it's based on historic cases, then you've got the bias of the judges that has made the historic decisions. So like, how do you kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's quite an interesting dilemma. How do you kind of filter that kind of stuff out to be able to build Mm. something that would be not biased, I suppose. So that was, yeah, interesting sort of things I quite like about the data space. Can I just bring this back down to um, Sheffield, as that's what the podcast is about. I know we've got a lovely chat about data, and I imagine if um, we weren't recording this, we could probably go for about an hour or ten. Um, but I just want to say, I try to sort of incorporate something Sheffield in there. So um, two questions that I'm going to start asking that I keep forgetting to is, um, how can you help Sheffield, and how can Sheffield help you in terms of what you do with your data? Um, and also, could you mention where you are in terms of social media accounts and websites, etc., so people can find you? That would be lovely. You want to go first, Tom, because you're unmuted. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I suppose um, my take, I suppose it is really my take of how, of how I can help Sheffield is is probably through the Sheffield Data for Good group. Um, so I guess our our remit is just anything Sheffield based. Uh, when we when we first set up the group. We kind of got a lot of people in the room that were loosely interested in the idea. And one of the things that came out of that initial conversation about what this might look like was that it was people in Sheffield uh, really talking about stuff in Sheffield. So it is very, very Sheffield-focused. Um, we thought it initially might have been people in Sheffield talking about data like in a global sense, but actually it, it came out to Sheffield. So I think what we're keen to do is really we're a load of people that 600 people loosely uh, affiliated to the group some of them are, are really active members others aren't and they're a range really pretty equal split of data pods and data scientists who do stuff in their their day jobs who want to volunteer and do some other stuff there's a few academics in there there's a load of people from the voluntary and community sector who say that perhaps they're not data experts but what they bring is like that that voice on the actual matter that we're talking about and they say well like, I can see that's clever data wise but that doesn't help me on a day to day basis <laughs> um, so that, that kind of balance of voices is, is really key um, so I guess uh, what I'm saying uh, to tie up this long ramble is we're open to people just going can you help us find something out about this that, and the other we, we kind of steer it towards um, something that could be loosely turned as social good as opposed to just kind of can you do my business analytics for me uh, that's not what we're about we're about kind of going we think there's a maybe a challenge or an opportunity in the city can we help describe that um thing in a bit more detail we don't ever say we're going to get to a certain point um and there's no money involved as well which i think actually helps with a kind of it's quite a pretty neutral agenda really it's just people going here's a here's a problem to look at and i can apply some skills to it uh, so that's, I guess, how I think I can help uh, the city and how the city can help me is just give me or us as a, a group some challenges to look at, really. So you are short on things to investigate? Oh, uh, was, not necessarily short, but you're always like more. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, for me, I think you can. we can always just have like a big backlog and then we can just do a bit of like, let's just shove it out to the people of Sheffield and go, what's, what should we look at first? Like, we can prioritise it that way. Uh, I'm not fearful of having a big long list of stuff. We'll find a way of picking something to look at first. Got 600 elves, you'd be all right. Um, um, oh, yeah, so where can you be found information 
Twitter, obviously. Yeah. That's why I mean. Twitter, yeah. So at Chef Data Good is that group. Uh, I'm on Twitter separately as me, an individual entity, not a volunteer, get paid occasionally. And that's Mr. Tom French. Um, but the uh, Chef of Data for Good group, we run that through Meetup. So if you go to meetup.com uh, and search for Chef of Data for Good, you should find it and you can sign up there. But we, it's a bit messy at the moment. We have a, a Slack group as well and, and stuff. So we just try and communicate in as many different ways as we can all virtually obviously at the moment great um same questions to you joe how can you help sheffield how can sheffield help you and where can people find you um so i i'm just keen to to speak to people who who want to make more of the kinds of experiences of the people they're working with um, i know there's been some really interesting stuff happening in sheffield during covid i know museums sheffield have been doing trying to gather some um uh accounts from people of, of life under COVID um, in Sheffield and they're, I think they've been collecting stories and objects and stuff that would produce a kind of archive for the future. Um, things like that are really interesting. If there are organisations who want to, to know they've got some, some information, some data, some experiences that they, they're not, just not quite sure what to do with or how to do it in a kind of time efficient way, I think often with qualitative data, people think, oh my God, I've got six hours of interviews from this group and I've got 12 hours of interviews from that group. We just haven't got enough time to do something. Um, I've, got, I've got some strategies and techniques to help people make sense of stuff in a way that's more time efficient. Um, so anyone who's kind of looking for that and, and particularly for groups who are trying to help bring out voices of people we don't hear so readily in, in public arenas. So um, more excluded groups, marginalised groups um, and thinking of, of creative ways to engage them in things. So a face-to-face -face interview or a focus group in a traditional sense can be quite, um, might be quite daunting for people who perhaps aren't very confident in, in talking about their experiences or who aren't used to being asked about their experiences. So I can help people think of more creative ways of different ways of engaging people and, and gathering experience and, and personal accounts that um, go beyond that traditional one-on-one -on -one interview or focus group setting. So if anyone wants to to get some more advice um, or support, then that would be great. Uh, so that's kind of what I offer. And also uh, how Sheffield can help me is kind of part of that, I suppose. But I, I'd be really eager to hear of people doing similar kinds of work. And what I really like about the Data for Good Network is um, most of the kind of stuff, the data that, that's being looked at has is sort of more quantitative, I suppose, but it's a really nice network in that people are open to thinking about data in different ways. And um, and I've I've been made to feel welcome, even as someone who's not very good with numbers. So so I, I'm keen to hear of other kind of um, groups or networks of people who are thinking about new ways to, to use information and data uh, and stories to, to make changes in Sheffield. Um, so yes, that's that. And so I'm on a uh, website, capacityq.co.uk. <laughs> I think that's right. No, it's .com. Oh, I really should know, shouldn't I? That's terrible. Um, find me on Twitter instead, at capacity underscore Q. Um, or I'm also on Twitter as myself in my other roles as at Joe underscore zero one underscore Reynolds. I think that proves I need to get some more memorable... Um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, yeah, for my uh, for my social media. But that's yeah, that's me. Thank you very much. Does it? Uh, 
Joe's, Joe's just prompted me and made me think about something, and that's uh, just kind of with all the data stuff that I talk about, I think for me it's important to recognise that any data point that is about a place or people has people behind it. And the data has to be informed by people's experiences and things like that. And I think as much as I'm an advocate for the numbers and stuff uh, alongside the other stuff, um, I do think there's a lot of work to to be done to make it pegged in real experiences. And that's where the two disciplines uh, that I suppose Joe and I represent um, kind of really can learn from each other. It's not, this is not a competition. It's about supplementing each other and learning how one informs the other and that kind of stuff. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like a happy ending. Does mm-hmm. does make me glow, feel warm, comforted. <laughs> the world outside is still calm and peaceful. Yeah. Um, sorry, I've got a lot of 10 minutes in there. Um, something weird as usual. Um, okay, is there any final points before we um, sort of turn off the recording? We're trying to, we're trying to squash them down a bit short. So I don't know if anybody who listens to this, uh, that's, that's it. I don't know if anybody, if anybody listens to this. That's the point. <laughs> I don't know if anybody don't know if anybody listens to this, but I don't know if you have any views on how long the podcast should be. In fact, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be able to aim for this evening on how long our podcast should be. We've gone from like 20 minutes to about 45 minutes. Some people can talk. Um, and the, and the, result, the result determines how much we get edited out. Is that right? <laughs> Correct. Our team's in charge of that, so I'm not bothered. Um, well, I was going to say, so you're going to do the poll, and then we'll get the data, and then we just need to, if, if we know somebody that can help us process that data from the poll... But you really need to ask people about their in-depth experiences of engaging with the uh, right. podcast and their, their lived experience of the there account. Get that in a lot of detail. I think that's really important too. I'm only out four options. <laughs> 240 characters or whatever it is these days, 240 characters, I think, to write the question. So I'm, I'm, it's, not, it's not my expertise, field of expertise, this. I think I might struggle, but I'll give it a whirl. Well, um, I think it's interesting because, I mean, I think my personal consumption of podcasts has certainly changed since lockdown no longer have a commute so yeah. I, I suspect a, a lot of people yeah well then maybe okay. other people might be listening to podcasts that haven't listened to podcasts before so who knows i'm a i'm a podcaster whilst doing diy that's my yeah. main podcasty time they should be a weekend long well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well i don't know with regular time for coffee breaks as well i think okay. but um, long enough to paint a skirting board but not to paint a whole room maybe something like that, I don't know Is that what sort of questions I should ask in my data? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> what, what activity do you like to match up podcast listening to? Skirting board painting driving, anyway I digress um, Okay, I'm going to call that what is it that I say at the end of it, Elf 2? You keep telling me oh. to say this sign-off thing, and I've never remember No, I can't remember what it is. You always used to say it. Now, now it's just, it did, that doesn't exist anymore. You, uh, you just, I started it in the same way. You used to. You used to have a common sign-off that was so memorable, I forgot. Brilliant. We'll stick with it. Right, I'm just going to say it by my way to the t- uh, my computer. So you can stay on and talk to it afterwards if you want, but we're going to see it's recording. So, um, thank, you very much. No, thank you very much and we'll put it out there and if you get eight listeners I'll be very chuffed <laughs> I, I just don't get any feedback that's what my problem is Joe I don't get any feedback off people I ask them questions 
as to whether they listen to it, who listens to it, what they think, and no one's ever said a word. So I'm doing that wrong so I can talk to you about how to get people to answer my questions. <laughs> but um, other than that, I shall bid you emotional farewell and speak to you when I've stopped this recording, which will be about now. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Are you